This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research in human resources, steeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh, brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University. Hi, everyone. Welcome to HRT. I'm your co-host this season, Helen Nelson, and I'm happy to join Bethany Adams on this journey through our theme this season, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Today, I've poured myself a nice cup of lavender and chamomile tea because we're chatting with Kyle Ali. Kyle is a leader in the talent development space at Google, specifically charged with managing the Computer Science Summer Institute program. Also in Kyle's leadership portfolio is being former global head of the Black Googlers Network, the largest employee resource group at Google. Have a listen as we talk to Kyle about community and activism in the workplace. Well, welcome to HRT. Kyle Ali is joining our episode and the topic that we want to get into is DEI and and professional activism. We'll unpack all of what that is. I think we're all pretty well acquainted on the call, but would love the listeners to learn more about you, Kyle. So tell us about your career journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. And my career has taken a a few different twists and turns, but I, I started off as a classroom teacher on Baltimore's West Side. Both of my parents were educators. It's not something I thought I would follow them into, but as I progressed through college, it just ultimately be, ended up being the thing that called me. I was called to the classroom, and so I became a Teach for America Corps member and did that for two years, teaching government and AP government to sophomores before I joined Teach for America staff and began leading recruiting efforts to find more teachers to teach in inner city schools and rural schools, initially recruiting in Maryland and then moving to to where my wife is from in Tennessee. And as I said, my father was a school superintendent. And so I had always been interested in administration, but but never was quite confident enough to to take the leap to to explore it uh, on a full-time basis. But Teach for America in about 2013, made a shift with their programmatic model. They moved from having regional training sites where they were bringing core members from around the country to about six different cities to train them before sending them back to those cities to local training sites where teachers were going to actually train in the cities where they would teach. And Memphis, Tennessee was one of the first cities to give this local model a try. And so they were looking for school directors and I threw my name in the hat, uh, my, my hat in the ring. I, I didn't think that I was going to get the opportunity, but I was fortunate enough to be able to be a school director at one of the first local training institutes and led a school of third through 12th graders. I mean, it was one of the most fulfilling jobs that I had ever had. We launched a vision there that was rooted in the story of the Freedom Riders because there was so much civil rights history that is so deeply rooted in Tennessee. And I was fortunate that the staff that was uh, based in the Nashville office came out to visit my school site and they really uh, liked what they saw. 
and asked me if I'd be willing to come back and build that into a larger effort as they launched a local institute in Nashville. And so I came back to that role as managing director of pre-service training and led the effort to build out a local teacher training institute along with Lipscomb University and Teach for America for two years. Took a lot of what we learned in Memphis and we brought it back to Nashville and really put an emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion and recognized that there were some things that Teach for America did very well on that front. So I did that role for two years and then made a pivot in 2015 to move into high tech to start working at Google moved down to Austin, Texas, and initially began working to recruit engineers. But that evolved into me leading an effort to actually figure out how do we recruit more diverse engineers? How do we bring more Black engineers into the fold, more Latinx engineers into the fold? And that work has has evolved and turned into a whole bunch of different roles, but it's been a a great journey so far. And now I lead our pre-college efforts. So uh, high school students, particularly high school students from underrepresented backgrounds who are interested in exploring computer science, I lead Computer Science Summer Institute. So this is a three-week program that happens over the summer for those students that are moving out of their senior year, getting ready to go to either a community college or a four-year institution to study computer science. We bring them in, we do a project-based experience, we connect them with mentors and with other folks that are within our Google network. More importantly, we connect them together. But we also just take a long-term look at what's it gonna take for us, not to just have them make sure that they have the skills, but that they also have the confidence to navigate a rigorous computer science program all the way to be able to join a full-time role, hopefully at Google, but perhaps elsewhere. And we have the opportunity to engage them through different kinds of internships and other experiences, sometimes over five years before they actually join us in a full-time capacity. And so in a lot of ways, my my work has circled back. It began in education with students. It's now focused again on, on education and students, even though it's in a different context. And I feel like this is exactly, you know, where I'm supposed to be. Thank you, Kyle. That was an amazing journey, some of which I've had a front row seat to, and sometimes a backstage pass. You gave us such a beautiful walk through your career journey, and I I just want to brag on you for a second. So we have a, so Kyle and I, spoiler alert, we work together. And when I joined Google Austin, also fresh into the tech scene, new industry for me, Kyle is a thing of legends at Google. We call it being Google famous. And so I remember, (laughs) I remember, oh, it's funny. So anyway, I used to, in order to like get to know people in the office and at the time, Austin was a fairly small office. Um, I would set up like tea time and it was no agenda or anything like that. Just me trying to get to know people. And sometimes that would kick off in the parking lot, in the elevator, what have you. But for Kyle in particular, it was because Kyle was always behind some microphone or podium, just showering us with like his many talents. And so I just want to brag on you for a second because I knew him when, and you've moved on um, into other roles and we'll talk about your prominent position in one of the largest Google ERGs, teaser, teaser. We'll talk about that (laughs) a little bit later in the podcast, but there's something that there's a practice in each of uh, the episodes that Bethany's introduced and that's this idea of a soapbox. So would love to know what your DEI soapbox is and quick framing. A soapbox is something that you're passionate about 
that lights a fire under you that you could talk at nauseum about. Uh, and that could be something neatly contained in your role or just in a part of your professional practice in general. So what is your, your soapbox? You know, I think my soapbox as of late has been really thinking about how to be much more precise and much more nuanced with my discussions around diversity, equity, inclusion. I, as, as I've gone through my own journey and learned more about myself and, and more about the experience of Black people in, in particular, the term Black, the term Brown, these generalized terms, they're created with the goal of erasure in mind. They're created with the goal of taking the diversity that is encompassed in those terms and making it flat. And I think a lot of us, including myself at certain times in my career, have brought that language and have brought that perspective into the workplace. So when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion strategy, we say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do for black and brown people. When we talk about doing something for black and brown people, there are a lot of people that fall under black and brown people, right? And the needs of black people who are African-American are not always the same needs of black people who have immigrated to the United States or black people that are working in Sao Paulo or black people who are working in Johannesburg or wherever they may be. The needs of the black community may not map at all to the needs of the brown community. And when I say the brown community, it's important to recognize that there are communities within communities within communities that exist within that very generalized term. So as I've started to think through diversity, equity, and inclusion moving forward, I've had to put a lot of thought into who specifically am I talking about? Am I talking about Black male students, right? Am I talking about Mexican-American students, right? Who am I talking about and what are the unique needs of any of those individual groups and how do we make sure that our diversity strategy is actually diversified? I think that that's been the big thing that I've been pushing on lately is how do we actually recognize the diversity that exists within diversity and how are we reacting to that in ways that make sense so that we can serve the communities that we're seeking to serve in ways that are truly meaningful. Yeah, that's a great point. We've talked in other episodes about intersectionality and I know that's a hopefully a word that's very familiar to folks, but the way that we show up is highly nuanced it's more than how we present. And you're right, like just to take my skin tone into account is quite flat and it's not dynamic at all or representative of who we all are. As I teased earlier, you once led one of the largest ERGs at Google, and that's the Black Googler Network or BGN, as we affectionately refer to it. Uh, and BGN happens to be one of the most active ERGs as well. We have gotten the attention of Sundar, and I think consider him a, a dear friend and someone that we can call on as a as a body and get him to respond and sit down and and listen to us and other notable executives for that matter within within the company. Tell me why you were led to take that assignment to to want to lead Black Googler Network. You know, it's, it's it's funny because I've been reflecting on this lately. The person that was responsible for bringing me into BGN when I joined Google in 2015 recently just departed the company, and I, I made a point to to talk with him right before he left to thank him because BGN has played such a huge 
role in, in my time at Google. I would argue that in the moments where I've, I've thought about departing Google, in the moments where I've struggled the most, it's been BGN that, that's kept me in my seat. I got involved with BGN, I, I wouldn't say by accident, but I ended up getting involved in a, in a rather peculiar way. When I joined Teach for, when I joined Google from Teach for America in 2015, when I was working at TFA, we had an annual Black Leaders Conference and it was opt out. And so it was expected that if you were Black and you were a Teach for America and you were available, that you would attend. And there was money set aside for everybody that wanted to go to be able to go. So when I got to Google, I, I assumed that, that that was also true, that when I heard about the BGN outreach trip, that everybody that was Black identifying at Google would have a chance to go on this trip if they indeed wanted, wanted to go. And so I was in a conversation and talking to the lead of the trip in that year. And I was explaining to him, you know, some of the work I had done and some of the ambitions that I had and why I was excited to be here, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, you know, you should sign up for this trip. You know, just get your application across. I'll make sure that I see it through. And I was fortunate to be able to go. And we went to Charleston, South Carolina that year. We go to places that have had some sort of trauma within the Black community. That was right after the shooting at, at the AME church. And so I got on the ground and I was meeting all of these different Black Googlers. And uh, folks were saying, how long, have you, how long have you been here, right? What's your role? What do you do? And I was sharing with them, oh, I've been here for about a month or two. And, and uh, they, they ultimately were looking at me a little funny. And what I discovered after the fact was, you're supposed to have been at Google for a full year before you are allowed to go on, on these trips. But my guy made sure that I was able to go. And, and I could not thank him enough because, it, again, BGN has been at the heart um, of, of my career at Google. It's where I, I met my mentor. It's where I have connected with so many people that have played a crucial role in what I've done. I've led our Austin chapter locally. I helped kind of transform that from an affinity space that was really just designed for us to see each other more than anything else, right? We were such a small collection of people in the Austin office at the time that it was just important to know, hey, where do you go to get your hair done, right? Where, what, what barbershop am I going to? What grocery store are you shopping at? And move it into a full-fledged organization with strategy and vision and goals as our community grew. I was an outreach trip lead, and so I had the chance to take that trip that was so important to me and expand the opportunity for people to be able to participate. We went down to the Virgin Islands after the hurricanes came through. There was so much attention that was being given to Houston, and rightfully so, and Puerto Rico, or rightfully so, but this small island community of, of Black people that desperately needed support and that desperately really needed manpower and resources wasn't receiving that. And so we were able to bring to bear our resources and our people down to St. Thomas as part of the outreach trip that I led with, with several other Googlers. And then I was able to take on the, the BGN Global Co-Chair role. And it was an extreme privilege. As I go back and talk about being more nuanced and being more thoughtful in our approach, at the time that I joined the board, we had a board that was overseeing all of global BGN. So the Black experience in the United States, the, the Black experience in, in Africa, the Black experience in Europe, we were responsible for trying to create a strategy that would be able to address all of those different needs. And one of the things that we immediately realized is that that structure wasn't very well suited to do that. And so we took on the challenge of creating local regional boards to put leaders in place who are more 
proximate to what was going on in those different regions and really took a lot of the work that we were holding on to at the global level and pushed it down at the local level because that's where our Black Googlers were actually experiencing BGN. It was in their chapter meetings. It was in the events that were happening in their local offices. It was in the one-on-one relationships that they were having with people that they were meeting as a result of some of the different events that we were doing. And so that role was incredible. And and we had the, the great fortune of being able to work with our Black Leadership Advisory Group, to work with our CEO, to work with our employee engagement organization, to really serve, I think, as a critical lifeline for a lot of Black Googlers as we went through some incredibly trying times in in the spring and in the summer. And I think it just spoke to the importance of the role that employee resource groups play within a corporate structure. Kyle, what you just said was what I was thinking as you were talking is this Google as a company, as an organization has so much power because what they do not only affects so many people's lives because so many people use their products, but they also look to Google and what they're doing. And especially as an organization and especially HR within your organization, because, and I talk about Google a lot in my classes. In fact, any students that are listening to this are going to be like, I know she needs to stop talking about Google in her classes because I use a lot of what Google does because you get people operations right a lot. And what I love about what you were just describing is your ERG at the base level serve as a resource for employees, but your ERG is actually becoming a resource back for the organization because you are helping the organization see where it needs to go and how it can grow and how it can better recruit and how it can make these changes to be more inclusive. So you're serving both the individual employees and also the organization as a whole and where it's going to go. So it's amazing. And it's really great to see that work and I'll, and it just gives me even more reasons to talk about Google in my classes. So we appreciate it. You know what I'll say about it. And, and I think it's important to say this part because I do think that people look to Google, both folks in, in high tech and to entities in high tech and, and entities across the, the business spectrum, I think look to us as, as a leader. And I think it's a role that we've embraced as a thought leader. Our leadership made a very smart choice when it came to how they wanted to engage BGN through this process. And that was to position us as experts. That was to position us as advisors, but it was not to position us as the people who had to go execute the strategy. There, they tapped on folks from the project management office. They tapped on people from across the business, which distributed and shared that responsibility but also did not put an extra burden on our ERG members to now solve a problem which they are experiencing that is not of their doing. That is hugely important. I think that from talking with a lot of other friends and and peers that work at a whole host of different companies, there are ERGs that are tapped to provide input and that are tapped to provide perspective, but that are charged with, okay, now you're going to execute it. And so the ERG becomes an affinity space. The ERG now becomes the crisis management office. The ERG now becomes a strategic arm. want to switch gears a bit to some other spaces 
that you you are notable in, Kyle. And, and one of those is here locally in, in Austin with your work. And who knows if it'll come back or not. I'm sure it'll take on a digital form. We've all kind of figured out our workarounds. But anyway, I digress. South by Southwest, you spoke on an amazing topic at South by and in other spaces too, about the art of negotiation and, and knowing your worth. And so the question for you is, when influencing others to see themselves in, in DEI work, is anything negotiable? You know, it's a quick story when it comes to the negotiations work. I took a negotiations course when I was getting my MBA. I got my MBA at Baylor. And I, I'm not a quantitative guy. And so we had been going through a bunch of financial accounting classes. And we finally hit on negotiation. This is going to be my thing. And got into to my first exercise and being someone that is a bit more extroverted, being someone that is fairly comfortable talking, was 100% convinced that, that I was going to just really nail it. And I went through my first simulation and just got destroyed, right? Because I tried to rely so much on my charisma and so much on my extroversion and didn't do any prep and, and anything like that. And, and just at that point, I, you know, I kind of really knew that this is something that I, I felt like I could grow into if I was serious enough about it. And so I, I finished out that class and then went up to Northwestern and did a little bit of training on negotiation up there and then came back and started teaching it in Austin and actually started teaching it at a conference for some of the Black and Latinx members of the organization that I was a part of at the time. And the reason for that was that so many Black and Latinx employees do not negotiate when it comes to their compensation. It's one of the primary contributors to the compensation gap that we observe between diverse candidates and, and candidates who do not identify as diverse. And it's not a matter of skill uh, in terms of their skill profile or what they're bringing to the table. It is a matter of skill in the sense that so many of, of our white colleagues know to come in and negotiate and have been trained up in that way. And many of us simply do not. And so if you start off at, at one salary point and there's another that negotiates for just a little bit more, as they continue to progress, that gap just gets wider and wider and wider over time. So I felt like if I could just, if it's just a matter of filling in a skill gap, you know, as someone who considers themselves to be a teacher, I can teach that, right? And that's why I chose to, to bring that topic. To your question about is there anything that is negotiable? I'll phrase it a little bit differently in saying, here's what I think is non-negotiable as, as it pertains to diversity, equity, inclusion work. It's pretty straightforward. Your dignity, that's a non-negotiable. Your sanity, that is a non-negotiable. Your health, that is a non-negotiable. So many of us, including myself, pour all of ourselves into this work. I have tried at different times in my career to say, I'm done with DEI work, I'm going to step away from it now. And it's never worked. Because for me, it's not a matter of a objective or a key result. It's not a matter of strategy. It is a matter of my humanity and the humanity of the people that I am connected to and that I believe I'm here to serve. It is part of my purpose, not simply my career. So there really isn't any stepping away from it. This is the long run. 
it is a long challenge. Racism will be here tomorrow. Sexism will be here tomorrow. There will be a seat at the table for you if you are interested in doing this work. But the only way that you can do this work and follow through with fidelity is if you yourself are a whole person, mentally, physically, spiritually. Your dignity, your humanity, your sanity, none of that is up for negotiation. Well, I now know why Kyle is Google famous because that, but I mean, that just speaks to me and probably so many others. And you just put it in a way that if anyone disagrees with that, I don't understand, like, I don't understand how you're human and disagree with that, right? And so, of course you're Google famous. I, I just sit, I just sit here and I'm looking at Helene like, come on, fam. Like, I, I, it's real. Know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know, I outed you. Yeah, you know, it's been, it's been a great journey, right? And and to be quite frank, like it it has been a great journey because of the people that I've been surrounded by. And Helen knows this because there have been many a day where I have come to her desk <laughs> with with a challenge or with a thing that I'm experiencing. Or can we step in a conference room and can we talk real quick? Can I ping you with this question that I don't feel comfortable asking somebody else? I, I need ad- advice. You know, for as as much as as she may have been interested in meeting me at some point along the way, I'm thankful that that relationship has flourished into what it has because she has been part of that network of people who who have kept me here. So uh, I'm I'm very thankful to call her a friend and colleague, and and cannot emphasize the importance anymore of finding more diverse talent to bring into these spaces because. We rely on each other. We rely on each other personally. We rely, rely on each other professionally. Our families know each other. It's important, right, that, that we build a community inside and outside of work that allows for all of us to grow and thrive. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to say, when you know, in that last question, when I posed it and I echoed back the title of that, that workshop about around worth and for you to essentially say it's three things like it's your sanity it's your humanity like it's just uh, like it's that is all of our worth right that that's what it comes down to it's that like bottom rung of Maslow's like just existence water air you know what I mean being seen being heard it's all of those things thank you Kyle thank you thank you thank you I'm like 10 feet taller because of this conversation and every interaction that I have with you, I'm not even kidding. Um, it is just edifying. And I'm just, I'm happy to, you know, be on the rolls with you, my friend. I really am. And, you know, and to serve in any capacity. Where you go, I will follow. Or I need to be somewhere in the, in the airspace. So thank you for being, being a part of this chat. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. And yes, uh, absolutely. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kyle. Uh, So good to connect with you again after so long. And, you know, I think actually before we go, let's just give a quick shout out to Tara too, because I would have connected to either of you, if not for Tara. So Tara, Tina, Hogan, thank you for the connection (laughs) to these two amazing humans. The role of the Employee Resource Group is so important in establishing community and support for employees. If companies have them, you'll find some of the most active, passionate, and dedicated people there. 
I have to remind listeners that this work that the employees do in employee resource groups is totally voluntary and it's over and beyond their core job function and responsibilities. This work is some of the most important work being done at companies and it houses some of the most authentic spaces for employees. I heard loud and clear in this episode that DEI work and the corporate responsibility of it is non-negotiable and employees dignity Humanity, sanity, and health are also non-negotiable in pursuit of this work. Companies grow and thrive when employees find a sense of community and when companies listen to what matters most to those communities. Stay tuned for more riveting episodes this season that are sure to provoke deep thought, reflection, and we hope, action. Stay tuned to the blog and social for when these new episodes drop. All right, everybody. Remember, whether you're drinking coffee, tea, chamomile and lavender tea, or something a little stronger, we hope it will lead to fresh ideas that will help make work better for us all. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode, Steve, share with us what you are brewing using the hashtag VillanovaHRT. That's hashtag VillanovaHRTEA. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD. To learn more about the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at VillanovaHRD.com.